friends, welcome back to another episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Alex Dandino. Guys, again, so excited I dropped my entire intro shenanigans with the pro wrestling voice and magic. Uh, all right, guys, this starts a new month and a new theme. Yes. Uh, this month, the pod gets animated. So this is our long-awaited fan requested by Mr. Anthony Daniels, I believe it was. I believe so. Um, for us to look at some animated films, right? Um, Alex... Do you love animated films as much as I do? I do. Uh, I think animation, animated movies are like the last bastion of truly like, yes, there's a budget still, but at the same time, like there's nothing that limits an animated movie. I, I love that. Like we're still at this point where we think that CGI is going to solve all of our problems. And that what I love about especially 2D animated movies is that 2D, there's just something about that. It's sort of like, I hate using this example, but like it's the argument of like, douchebags who go uh i prefer the vinyl version of that record like <laughs> but like i i really do like 2d animated movies like there's something about it that feels very real to me i i like it a lot and especially the movies See, we're reviewing. i will week. say this yes it's not the douchebag version because with vinyl there's a way better version of vinyl music right yeah it's digital music and they can say well you don't hear the pops and the imperfections yeah man i don't need that Right. I need to hear the tune, and it's easier, and I don't have to carry around an old-timey turntable, right? right? With movies, it's not like that. Uh, I don't think computer animation is better than 2D animation, because one of the cool things I like about animated films is, like you said, where th there's no boundaries, right? I still watch. I still think anime is one of the best sources of new and creative and wild worlds to find. Absolutely. There's no limits. There's no boundaries. It's not like when you're watching... A TV show and you're like, oh, there's a penguin that lives in the apartment and makes weird faces in a live action with computer animation that sometimes just doesn't work as well with most animated stuff. I watch. You're just like, yep. Yeah. You're yep. just like, oh, giant monster fight. You're like, OK, they can just do that. I'm not worried about the physics or the right. build. It's just the style and the power and animation has come a long way. Right. Like, right. There are things like One Punch Man that have a little more raw style at times. It jumps between styles. Um, animation is still vibrant and powerful and, uh, beyond just the CG cartoon movies, like what the new lion King will be yeah. and something like Pixar where the storytelling is insane, but the animation, not so much. Everything's kind of these flat, weird puppet doll faces that Pixar does. Right. Um, I, yeah, I've always been a little more into the, the anime world with my animations, but all the movies we're going to discuss are insanely good movies first, whether right. they're animated or not. I think the um, and I, yeah, I'm not here to take shots at Pixar. No, not at all. <laughs> so Look, I love Pixar movies. I go see them on. I go see the. This is like the few like these are the movies I see in the theaters. Like my wife and I would go when we didn't have a kid. Still, we would still go and see these movies in the theater. Like animation has that power of like. There's no one famous on the screen. These are animated people. Like, even though you might hear famous voices, they're still animated people. So I think to me, psychologically, I'm grafting myself onto characters much more easily than I would in a movie where I see famous people. I can divorce that from the visuals. I think the important thing about animation is uh, the feeling you have when you watch it is much more organic and much more, I feel more in touch with that storytelling for some reason. 
Yeah, there's a bit of transplacement that can happen. I, I don't know. It's just, to me, I like the uniform magic, right? Anything can happen at any time, and I'm just okay. Yeah. Whereas sometimes you go back now and watch, like, a Star Wars prequel, and you're like, wow, that animation was bad. Yeah. And it, it disrupts you, right? Like, that doesn't happen when I go back and watch, like, today, uh, our first movie, Princess Mononoke. Before we get really rolling, guys, if you can, take a moment. Pause the pod. Leave us a rating and review. I know I'm so excited to get back in. We're just barreling through our housekeeping. But yeah, uh, take a second. Leave a rating and review for the show if you can. Share us on uh, your socials. That helps us find new alchemists. Back to the subject. Uh, Princess Mononoke. Now, this is Studio Ghibli. To me, probably my favorite of the Studio Ghibli films. Yeah. And that that's a, a high bar. Right. That's a high bar. I actually read the other day there was a battle online, right? Uh, they took all the critic reviews for different animated movies, and they said, which studio would you leave behind forever? And would it be Ghibli or Pixar? Who you got? Me? I would definitely go with – I mean, I think you could – look, I think I think what Pixar has done is really fascinating, but 2D stuff to me is never going to go out of style, so I'd leave Pixar behind. For me, it's I would also take Ghibli just because I think the movies remain more interesting as you're an adult. Yeah, I think And one of the things about Princess Mononoke in particular, and I've been letting Hunter watch a lot of these and watching a four year old's reaction to Studio Ghibli movies is kind of fascinating, especially this one. It was a lot more violent. than Yeah, I yeah, absolutely. Had remembered. So there's a lot of eye covering. But what I like about this, is it, it reminds me what I think Ghibli does so well is kind of twofold, right? Whereas Pixar has that amazing article where this is how Pixar tells a story, right? Like, there are 20-some rules for storytelling. Right. And Pixar's stories are always sharp and tight, yeah. powerful, well-delivered. Studio Ghibli always feels messy, right? Like, there's not, like, great act structures or any kind of, like, rhyme or reason. It feels like you're transported into these old-style yeah. old fairy tales and fables where – Things are dangerous. Just because it's a child doesn't mean that they're not going to confront real yeah. problems and dangers, right? In, in a Studio Ghibli film, it the the extra level of danger and real-worldness that these characters will face rather than, you know, something like Moana, right? Loved Moana, but there's not one second in a Moana movie where you feel like, oh, some real danger is about to hit, right? right? Whereas in Ghibli films, you're like, did he just shoot a guy's head off with an arrow <laughs> or, uh, you know, spirited away? It's like, is she a slave to evil ghost spirits? I think, you they, know, they have crazy yeah. extra. Like, I don't know. We just watched even Ponyo mm -hmm. and there's some really weird who's in charge. What's happening? Uh, parents are just like, hey, kid, figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, think I like that... the, the the nature of the complicated and complex morally gray yeah. fairy tale that's what i think is so fascinating about ghibli movies. i think ghibli movies to me i think you're on you, you nailed it on the head by saying like it's like it you really dive into this world i think what it is is like when you watch pixar disney movies because those are the really the only animated movies that make a huge splash other than probably in the last year it'd be like spider-verse but like as far as animation goes and as far as far as like storytelling like pixar really wants you to focus on the story itself like you want to be immersed in storytelling, like you want to see the act structure and that's very, that's okay. Like that's a rigid way to tell a story and that's a good way to tell a story. It gets your point across. 
what Studio a very Ghib- good way the way they do it. Yeah. What Studio Ghibli does that I think is very different but still effective is what they 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 put you into the world. Like they leave you in that world and they let you live in that world, and that's sort of the important thing about how they make their stories is their storytelling technique is not necessarily, I would necessarily characterize it maybe messy. Like messy's a good way to put it, I guess. But like they that, just to want- me that's a compliment. That's not right. a that's not a shot at it. Like yeah, I mean, I, it's the yeah. They want you to live in that world. Living in that world is very important. Like they want you to yeah, live in that world. You don't feel like they have saves the cat nailed to the wall. You know what I mean? No, they want you They're to like page twelve. We gotta uh, like it. Just it. Right. And, and what you're saying is what I think. I there's almost no storytelling group that regularly transports me to such a wide open world of magic, right? Whether it's Mononoke to Porco Rosso or Ponyo, like whatever it is, all the worlds they make, I just feel like I'm dropped and left in these kind of big open magical worlds, yeah. right? And there is this there's this new studio, God, I can't remember their names, but they did um Song of the Sea and Secret of Kells. Oh yeah. They kind of have this going on, but the animation's not as good to me as Ghibli. Maybe yeah. I'm just more of an anime first. But like Mononoke, I just feel like I'm dropped in the middle of this big messy world. I don't feel like I'm being pulled through a three act structure by our lead. No. And this is the thing about Princess Mononoke that struck me rewatching it. Besides just the gorgeousness of the world, right? Is I don't know who's right or wrong ever. The world is very. The only one is you're like Jigo, the little monk, right? Mm-hmm. With the giant platform shoes, he feels like he's a shady motherfucker. <laughs> But also kind of a product of his time. He was sanctioned by the emperor to do what he did, hunting down that uh, forest spirit or whatnot. Right. But they set up, you don't fully think Ishitaka knows all the answers, right? His whole deal is, I'm going to watch with eyes unclouded by hate. Yeah. And that's really what he does. He kind of plays both sides. He doesn't villainize the iron workers, right? This isn't a fern gully where it's like, oh, they want progress, so they're evil. No. Like, they, they make a fairly interesting argument for them and then uh the animals and the wolves aren't immediately these anthropomorphized good guys they're also have their like when we we meet uh lord okado right the giant boar at the end who's blind yeah like that feels very spot on he's just kind of this this is what we are we're a proud race this is our last day so they also have these very relatable flaws and issues and i can't remember another animated movie that leaves the battle between the good and evil so ambiguous is this movie yeah i mean i think that's like the that's the what makes princess mononoke so rare and so interesting is like the moral gray area of what the lesson you're supposed to learn which obviously this movie is about environmentalism like that's just an that's an obvious thing there's nothing about it that doesn't say that but like to not villainize one side and make it about make it about Oh, we must preserve nature. Make it about oh, we must further progress in our world. Like nothing about that to me is. I I love the non villainy in a lot of aspects of this because I I really do think like Ashitaka and everybody is so. I love Ashitaka's character so much because he's just so unexpected. I guess like I was reading I was reading a little bit about sort of like how he's characterized and how they kind of characterize it like um. Like Miyazaki saying that he's like a melancholic boy who has a fate. Like it's it's interesting to me. And I I, I love that, like and I, I do love like him being cursed 
him being cursed by this like the boar god is such a fascinating like he's bound to the forest in a way in that ca- in that case you know like yeah i mean the the opening of it is really cool because we just start off in this and they're the people who are to me a lot of the movie is just about harmony yes right becoming one with yourself as it fits into everything else right it's very humanistic uh approach to how they're telling the story right and what i like is one of the things that struck me immediately is when the demon hits at the start of the movie Mm -hmm. his when he's diverting it he doesn't reach for the arrow first no well grant i mean granted he guns that motherfucker down once he needs to (laughs) of course (laughs) he starts off he's writing uh you know yeah cool and he's just forest god hear me let your temper subside right Uh, you know it's this kind of subservience and not in a weak cowardice way just this hey man be cool we're cool you're cool like let's figure it out right and again i was like wow like a hero of kind of politic right is very strange to see in these giant fantasy stories right normally it's the if you want to be a hero you pick up that fucking sword and let's go like even bilbo had to have a sword you know yeah and this kid he's just trying to talk him down and granted when it comes between there's no saving him right like we see the giant boar god in the middle yeah um and yeah i I think it's interesting that he is touched because of this demon's anger and hatred and cursed to where even the old lady in the bones is like hey man it hurts us but uh you're dead to us forever (laughs) even if you solve everything don't come back you're like holy shit but now this is i kind of wanted to ask you about do you think a curse is the right word for what happens to Ishitaka? Is it Ishitaka? Ashitaka. Ishitaka. Ashitaka. Well, Do you think it's... By the end of the movie, does it actually end up being a curse? I mean, I think curse is where... <sighs> curse is something that I think evolves over time. Like, not even in this movie, but just in, gen- like in broad generalities. Like, to me, we all have these things. Like, what happens to Ashitaka doesn't really stay a curse to me. Uh, it begins as a curse. Like nobody wants to be bound to something. No one wants something bound to them that distracts them from their everyday life. Like what ends up feeling like a curse that we all experience in our lives is what I would characterize as just scars. Like it's a scar. It's something that you carry with you at all times. Like there's nothing about you that changes fundamentally, but there is something in the back of your head that reminds you that you've been through something. So I think that's, I mean, it's like when you see the Japanese horror Renaissance, a lot of it was based on, you know, uh, Ringu and Juwan. Right. These are called cursed movies a lot. Right. Right. And it and the ghost isn't a curse and like, ah, it's bound to you. Often it's bound to a place. So I think that is the right way to look at it is something from without that is imprinted upon you. Yeah. It's right. It's An inescapable experience. truth of reality. Yeah. Exactly. That's so, a great way to put it. Yes. Yeah. And he and that's the funny thing is he is trying to fight against it a lot, but also without the curse, he never would have been able to be successful in his mission. Right. So what starts up and, and it's weird because when it hits the animals, it is more of an actual curse, right? Yeah. There is this, this inability of the gods to accept change in harmony that they can't lord over the humans exclusively. Yeah. And thus the curse makes them more monstrous. And they don't get the benefit out of it that uh, Ashitaka seems to. Yeah, I think that that's like the maybe that's the juxtaposition, I guess, of it all is like and again, that's more of the gray areas, like the gods of the forest not wanting to like the gods of the forest not wanting to live in harmony. You know, like that's I think like 
maybe that's kind of the I, I I was thinking about this the other day or yesterday when I was watching it is like maybe that's sort of the idea is that the gray area is not that because like, normally when these movies are made like a great example is I was reading a little bit about it I was reading reading a little extra and I realized and um, they said that James Cameron this is a big inspiration for Avatar for him which is insane yeah. because it's like literally the direct the direct opposite of that but. <laughs> At the same time, I understand what he's getting at, but he does basically he just took it further and simplified the plot. This what this does is really gray the area a little bit and say like, but at the same time, uh, the tree people in Avatar are very much like these forest gods who don't want to have to submit to the fact that there are things that are changing in their world. Like humans to me are treated in this movie, not necessarily as interlopers, but more as like more as like uh I don't know, like forest nymphs to, I I don't know. Like they're not, they're not people who are invaders. They're more just people who are learning to coexist and everyone must learn to coexist together. That's the only way I can really describe it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, at times they are invaders and interlopers, right? But only once they subside to the kind of false narrative, like someone like, Jigo, right from the emperor the little monk yeah he seems to be sowing all of these seeds of discord yeah so as they become more scared and paranoid because that's what they said about nago the boar god too is he was so afraid of death that that's what turned him into the demon right and i think the humans that's kind of their version of that too is when they are so scared they they stop the noble parts of their mission and just only think about destroying right right so but yeah, I mean, that's the thing is because the bo- the animal gods also have this extra layer of they're called gods and demand respect. And this is our world. We will protect it. But yet they don't even I feel like they don't even believe their titles anymore. Interesting. Right. Like Akoto's like we're getting smaller and weaker all the time. Right. You know, this is our last stand. And they keep constantly asking for the forest spirit to fix it for them. But he won't. So they're like, well, what is the point? It, it reminds, It's very biblical in that sense, right? Yeah. The angels are like, why did you make this other thing? Right. Why do you put them before us? And it's not supposed to be that. It's like, you know, you're all creations. But they can't accept that. Right. And then we cut to Lady uh, Lady Oshi? Oshi? Uh, oh, anyways, the yeah. gun gun lady. <laughs> so gun lady. Lady Eboshi. Eboshi, that's it. So Lady Eboshi is the classic villainess, we think. Yeah. You know, the leave them down there. If they fell off the mountain, they're dead, right? She's shown as very cold. She's shooting at animals, flamethrowering them at the start when we meet her. Right, right. Come to find out, though, she goes around to villages. She's bought up all the brothel contracts for the workers. And they say their life is hard work and this and that, but it's better. She gives them a voice and makes them empowered. Um, Also, she has a room full of lepers. You know, they even say the one leper is like, don't take revenge on her. She's the only one uh, who sees us as people. Right. So there there is a benevolence to her as well, even as she is creating these weapons of mass destruction and destroying the environment. Right. You feel like she is perhaps just the person who had nothing in power and was a victim. Right. Who sees the rules of the game and says, I will play it better than you. Well, and again, so, this- again, she becomes a demon of change, whereas the animals are demons of the past. Right. I, I think that that goes. And again, that speaks more like the way that Eboshi is in this movie is so much about 
what makes great villains. Like we talk about this a lot on the show, which is like, what makes a great villain? A great villain. Uh, and we talk about this on the other show uh, on long box as well, but like what makes a great villain is a villain who thinks they're doing the right thing. So like, yeah, they have to think that they're, they have to think they're, right. yeah, they have to think their plan is working. They have to believe they're right. Now, a lot of the times this is painted really black and white where like they have absolutely no willingness to look the other direction. Now, What's great about Eboshi's character, she does all these things that are seemingly terrible, but then, yes, we do see that she actually, she does care for these people. She does care for these people who no one else is willing to care for. Now, granted, there is some other gray area to that. Which she cares for these people than, like, no one else is willing to pay uh, care for. She employs them, which, while she basically puts them through slave labor, doesn't necessarily mean she's, like, the most kind-hearted person, but she still cares. Like... I, See, I yeah, I mean, it's not that. I feel like the people there feel like because you see the peasants a lot, yeah, and they're like, "That's our home." They feel ownership of it in a way that I don't think other enslaved populations right. through history obviously ever felt. Of that course, way. and that's so, obviously. An I mean, extreme they're example. they're glorified indentured servants. I think right. I I really right? think that yeah. I mean, that's but a they good, they yeah. feel an important ownership, right? And she is trying to make the guns work for the men and the women. Mm-hmm. And again, just the fact that these these brothel working women now have ownership in the job in town they're creating and someone's like, hey, I'm also going to arm you. Yeah. You know, like that would matter to an oppressed people. Right. And I- so and the funniest thing about Eboshi in the movie to me is her own personal garden. So she has a garden where no one else is allowed to go, where she goes and tends to the land. So she has this need and desire to have harmony with some form of nature right but as long as it's highly cultivated and under her control it's it's a really fun extra layer that shows that she's not just some let's fucking burn it all down type right she's not this industrialist she's not she's again this is this is again i i love going back like i loved reading that james cameron thought this was like a huge inspiration for avatar because like if it was then he watched it and (laughs) totally missed the point because like, Eboshi's character really should be a Giovanni Ribisi's character, the correlation in Avatar. What Giovanni Ribisi's character is, though, is, like, the like all of the subtlety and interest cut out with only the industrialism left. Because, yeah, Eboshi tending to this own garden is so in direct violation of what you think would make her, like, the worst villain ever. But what it represents right. to me is that, yes, yeah, she just wants order in the world. Order is not... Order is... Uh, order is you know, the blending of these two worlds. It's not just the chaos of both of them colliding with each other. She's trying to bring order to both. And that's what makes her a fascinating villain, so to speak, quote unquote, because she's not really a villain. She's just a person trying to, again, make her way in the world like everyone else. Yeah. I don't see her as the villain at all in the film, which is funny because again, she also has been, it's led, we're led to believe that she has been the victim of the chaotic, Right. You know, parts of nature where her and the brothel workers and the lepers had no control over nature and were its victim oftentimes. Right. Uh, The one brothel worker lady even says, like, you know, I haven't had respect since the day I was born. And I think she said it in this, you know, I don't have respect for others, but it works the other way as well. Yeah. No one ever respected her, her body or, uh, you know, her ability to be a person. So I think there is in her mind this nature will run you over or you can take charge. Right. And it's a very logical thought for her. And again, even in the end, when they're 
dropping bombs on the boars and the the landmines on the last boar charge is just like a gut-wrenching scene. Yeah. When you see the boars fucking flying like hundreds of feet in the air, you're like, oh my God. Right. It's like someone hit a giant fucking stupid god pinata and they're just flying every which way. It's a gut-wrenching scene, but you're also like the pigs did attack them. Yeah. I mean, that's really kind of The pigs are charging them, right? Right. Uh, For right or wrong, like they could have just gone deeper in the woods and dealt with the realities but no they they're like a proud race they're gonna charge right uh they talk about the women who hey uh your wolves have killed husbands of these ladies they want revenge too right when mononoke's on top of the building yeah um you know and we see that that townsperson having this complete breakdown from ptsd of being on the front lines right i you know and what he saw in the charge of the boar so it is this insane mix and that's what like hunter was watching it almost like what right because he he and his four-year-old brain is trying to figure out who the bad guys are still exactly like that's the thing you that's know so who great. are you rooting for and you're like i don't know who to root for in this movie i mean and that's what's so great about again like, that's what i love about studio ghibli like studio ghibli does not write these define narratives about good and bad and like the like what they like to write about and what often these stories are told and all of these are really like most of studio ghibli movies are based on folklore and so on and so forth but so much of it's written about the nature of good and evil and the nature of good or bad like how more often than not like it's a matter of point of view and that's the thing that i think is so compelling and so wonderful like that's why i love howl's moving castle so much like everything about that movie is so fascinating again like I don't. I don't want to talk about another one without talking about Princess Mononoke. But like, it's such a, it's such a wonderful thing to see, and it's such a wonderful thing to be able to present to a kid. I think that's the value of these kinds of movies enduring. Is that we're not just showing our kids and look. I like Toy Story as much as the next guy, but like, we're not just showing everyone Toy Story and there's good and evil and there's bad ideas and good ideas. Like, there is a gray area and there's a way to interpret the world in a way that's not just so cut and dry and that's what's so awesome about this movie is this is all about the harmony and the melding of the world rather than just well industrialism is bad the nature is good well especially today's world and the world of our sons like right exactly this feels even more important right Right. oh totally this one this one unclouded guy actually goes and experiences and listens in sees firsthand and he doesn't pass judgment no like the craziest scene is at the end of the movie when he's mononoke's like i can't forgive him i'm going back to the woods and he's just like cool 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 i'm going to the ironworks and i was like what (laughs) i was like you threw it all the line for this lady you were in love with and you're just like all right peace girl i was like what is wrong with you ashitaka (laughs) unless this is like the make her chase you like lesson from hitch or something Oh Did they God. have Hitch in the in the Ironworks town? I don't know. <laughs> Did Studio Ghibli like, write Hitch? What are you doing? But that's just yeah. He's so indifferent to everything. He can't make a decision on jack shit though. <laughs> but but no. Uh, the thing I really like too about this movie is I love the lesson at the end. I, the ending is phenomenal for so many reasons. So after the boar attack, Okado becomes infected with uh, the demon. Mm-hmm. Maro, the wolf god, has gone to the the lake to die and she's just hoping to get one more fucking chomping which i love revenge till the end and uh the ape tribe who are just all these cryptic non-helpful assholes 
you know, you brought something that's not man nor beast. <laughs> it's like they're Tim Burton apes. They're right. so annoying. <laughs> they fucking jump away. And <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're doing the Trojan dead boar, right? They're going to get to the lake. Somehow cause a big ruckus in the forest of the spirits. Like, I don't give a fuck about anything that's happening. Right. And what I love is the way this finale plays out. Because the goal is to get the forest spirits head, right? Right. For immortality, destroy the forest, whatever. By taking his head, he takes the first shot and sinks a little, but keeps going, right? When they shoot him again as he starts to turn into the Night Walker, mm-hmm. um, it's not some huge death, right? It's very weird the way it plays. The head just falls nonchalantly, and then these rot bubbles start to spread out. Right. And what I like about this moment is it truly reinforces, because you hear Jigo say... Uh, I don't get it. He took their lives away. Right. Right about the pig and the wolf. And what you realize, and the other thing, every time they animate this beast, it has kind of a man's face. And whenever it walks, life bursts forth. And then when the hoof moves on, it dies. And so it's not just a God of life and death. It's a God of all that entire cycle, right? It's more the cycle than this and that, right? It doesn't have the two powers. It's about this cyclical nature, right? This never ending harmony. Right. To where by the end of the movie, you get the idea that the spirit of nature doesn't give a fuck about any of this. No, I mean. Right. Even shooting it and assaulting its body doesn't change any facts. Right. I mean, that's like the thing that's most important about the that's most. I think that's the thing that's most compelling about nature in this movie. Like nature spreads no matter what. Like you, you can like you can't prevent the inevitability of the world and the world at large like you can do all you can to stop it like and not necessarily stop it but like the idea like the metaphor is that industrialism is what kills the environment and so on and so forth but the important thing to me about the story is that what you're not able to kill is the inevitability of nature taking its rightful place at the top of the food chain like the ooze that comes out after uh eboshi cuts the head off is so it's it's i mean like could there be a greater visual metaphor in all of animation than just like this unstoppable, like this unstoppable force of like for like forceful river spreading out and killing anything it touches, like taking it back for the night, like taking it back for the night. Like that's, that's some compelling shit right there. Yeah. Well, it's, it's this forest spirit almost mocking them. Yeah. Right. Like, Oh, you want to kill me? You want death of the forest? Like, this is what that actually looks like if it's out of balance. Right. I mean, it's. Um, I was going to say the, the metaphor gets a little weakened at the end when uh, the Nightwalker gets his head back and essentially becomes like a true green bomb. Right. All up on the ironworks. So it feels like by the end of the movie, they're trying to tell us the ironworkers were wrong, which, again, I don't think plays as much with the rest of the movie. Yeah. I mean, Gigo's the only one I think is really the most villainous. But. um. And the the forest spirit dies at at that moment too. They say like he's gone forever, right? And it it is just this. Well, that's what I like too, is because Ashitaka says that like he's not gone, he's still here. He's trying to tell us something new now, right? But like he dies, and you like- know. And and I, I think that's that what you were saying, right? There is this. We try so hard to wrangle everything and take control, and I need a little more power for me. Right. I mean, we can all just have a heart attack or brain aneurysm. Or a tree can fall on us, or an earthquake, or fire takes our homes. That this illusion of control and power, yeah. in the face of 
you know, I mean, I guess we don't have better words for it, so we call them gods. But, you know, that's that's what this movie's about is feeling small and insignificant and instead of just embracing kind of the magic and wonder of where you are and what's happening now, right. like I will fight against it for this form of immortality and power that don't truly exist anywhere. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, that's a great, I think this, I mean, yeah, the the illusion of control that we have over not just nature, but just the nature of the world itself is what's so great about this movie. Like, it dispels that myth so well and dispels that concept so nicely, especially with the ending. Like we cut the board, the boar God's head off and it's like the ooze starts killing everything. And then as soon as the sun rises and he's made whole again, the earth is healed. Like everything comes back, like the cyclical nature of life and death and the illusion of control we have over it is so compelling in this movie. Like, that's the thing I love the most. And that's the thing I think I like the most about Ashitaka as well is Ashitaka is not the thing. Like, it's weird. Like the way I'd put it is like the things that Ashitaka thinks he can control. Like he controls the things he knows he can control. I, I don't know. I'm not sure how to put it, but I, I, I love Ashitaka in this movie. Like it's one, it's one of the few times yeah. like I haven't grafted on immediately to a side character. <laughs> like I think that's so, again, that's another great thing about studio Ghibli movies is, I might love side characters in other movies, but Studio Ghibli makes their compelling their protagonist so compelling. It's so fascinating to me. Yeah. No, I mean, first off, this was definitely the in-flight movie on the way to Jurassic Park. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, I think it's crazy. Like Ashitaka, what he says to Mononoke, she's gonna run back into the forest. Is he's like, I'm gonna go help them rebuild that ironworks, right? That's a seemingly insane thing to choose to do at the end of this movie. But I also I will help it's... them create more of the lead balls, more of the guns. Uh, you know, the fighting with Samurai Lord Asano is going to keep going. And it's it is just this. It, it's an unusual decision, but it reinforces the point, right? If right. he just ran off with her into the woods and is like, all right, there's no more uh, spirit of the forest. You guys do your thing. Nice to meet you. We're out. We're going to go be the new spirit of the forest or right. whatever. I mean, I think it, it somewhat defeats the, the, you know, uselessness of all of this struggle. Yeah. I mean, I th but I think that's what's so you get you get a point that without Ishitaka. And this is probably the weirdest thing in the movie to me compared to, you know, traditional like Pixar and American style animated movies. You could take Ishitaka out of this movie and most likely everything still unfolds the exact same way. Oh, you think so? That monster of death still is going to destroy everything, kill the people carrying its head and get the head back. You would assume now Ishitaka says, or Ashitaka says human hands must return its head, you know, in a, in this kind of like act of contrition and Hey, can we have harmony again? Right. Which that might be the one thing that would be different, but the, the thing's going to kill everyone, and eventually its head is just going to be sitting there in a box unguarded. Right. You would think it's going to rot that iron away, and it'll get its head back. But maybe without the contrition, that's the only possible thing that Ashitaka provides. But if you take him away, what happens? They're still going to be fighting in Irontown. The boars are still going to charge. Uh, you know, Mononoke probably dies in that camp earlier. But maybe... They're still going to go shoot the forest god. 
And yeah, I mean, it all is going to happen the same way without him. But it's like, so I think the overall point of the movie is being hopeful and engaged, despite the fact that it ultimately for every person is a useless endeavor. But you create your own meaning to it, I guess. Well, and I think that goes back to what we were talking about with uh, the curse, like the meaning of a curse. Because, like you're talking about, like yeah, there's a lot of uh, Japanese horror films are, where curses are very important. And it's a big part of the storytelling. But I think it's like we were saying, like, scars remind you of the things you've done. Scars remind you of the places you've been. When I look at my hands and I see scars on my hands, I know what they're from. When I see scars all anywhere on my body, I know what they're from. I know exactly what happened. So to me, it's like, to me, like, this movie's about, like, yes, the industrialization, the modernization of our world, the moving forward, but remembering where it came from and remembering how it happened. Like Ashitaka going back to Iron Town at the end, what's important about him doing that is it's not like he's just separating because yeah, like it's a balance because yeah, she needs to go back to the forest, he needs to go to Iron Town because that's where that's where he is. But him going back there, he looks at his arm, he look maybe he looks at his arm and remembers. So remembering the forest and remembering well, the Well now the, now the scar is like a little pink spot, not the big purple oozing thing. Right, exactly. It's a but he So looks he is down. he is still scarred. Right, he's still scarred. So, but the important thing though is that he remembers. So, when they're building guns and they're building those lead balls again, and they're deciding to move forward and expand, he looks down at his arm and he remembers what it is. Again, like this movie is all about remembering. I really do believe. Like, there's a lot to it to me about remembering where remembering where the world came from, remembering what came before us. That I think is actually a kind of like this weird sub, like this weird sub theme of the movie is remembrance and remembering where we came from. I, it's so important to me that I, it's, I, I know that the idea, like, yeah, I think everything would have unfolded the same way, but I think Ashitaka's presence within the movie is so important because he is that remembrance. He's that thing that we take to the new world. Yeah. It reminds me of the temple of, or the Ark of the covenant thing in Indiana Jones, right? We are like, he doesn't have to be in that movie at all for those Nazis to get melted by the Ark of the Covenant. Right, yeah. It would have happened anyways. He's not important to his own movie at all other than we really like him and he's fun to ride with. Right. Is the Ashitaka moment. But at the end of the and, movie. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this idea of the, the spirit accepts our contrition, true green bombs the entire valley, and for him and Mononoke to both make the decision of her like we'll just go kind of waste away in the woods, right? Devolve and become smaller, dumber, weaker and die in the woods alone. And him, yeah, I'm going to go back and we'll build the ironworks to keep making more guns and fighting and we're going to keep taking more trees and more land. And then he just is kind of like, well, we'll visit when we can. It's strange to me for them to both choose divergent paths, right? It feels like the move at that point for humanity or at least those two humans should be let's find a, a melding together peacefully but then that wouldn't be true to the world which right progress is always inevitable well i would say well that's like what, if they destroy this ironworks someone else just creates another ironworks that now is making more money from making weapons right well i think that's the point though like mononoke doesn't belong in iron town she doesn't belong in the real world like she doesn't belong in the new world Ashitaka is the merge. Ashitaka is the person who comes from both now. He's lived in both worlds and he's felt both worlds pretty, pretty deeply. So now, like this curse is no longer a curse; it's a blessing. It's a, a reminder of where, he, of 
what we need to remember when we're expanding, when we're moving forward is not to destroy the world, but to, you know, remember it. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I agree. That's what I take from the movie. I just think it's an unusual choice for the filmmakers at the ending. Right. Not that I would yeah. ever be here to question Miyazaki. Miyazaki has proven himself. Yeah. A, uh, a storyteller and a world builder beyond reproach. Uh, the magic inside that man's mind is insane. Right. But I do think and that's the thing. I like that. I leave a little bit like, really, really. And like you said, that's that is the gift of these movies. Because animation also, I had a buddy last week, and this is something we were debating. When I was like, the new, I was like, Marvel movies are mostly just animated movies. Yeah. Right? Like, they're cartoons. Yeah. And I was like, the new Lion King's a cartoon. Like, don't fool yourself. He's like, don't call it a cartoon. And I was like, what? Why? Why? And he's like, cartoon has, like, I call these movies cartoons, right? He thinks cartoon implies an inherent negative connotation, right? That it's childish. It's for children. See, I don't, I don't accept that. That's just the, what we called them when we were kids were cartoons. What I think is it's great is that I never lost my love for things I call cartoons. And when I watch something like this or I just started watching Gargoyles with Hunter. Right. I like shows that leave these gray areas. I like that at the end of the movie, my kid has to turn to me and be like, well, what would you do? What should I do? I'm four. Like, what would I do in that scenario? I'm like, make a choice, man. Yeah. Like, that's all anyone can ever do in life, period, right? Is you're confronted with a, like a, a board game before you have decisions to make. And whatever you make is going to infect someone else and it's going to affect what comes next and this and that. And I think what Ashitaka is saying is like, hey, the board game's moving ahead. I'm making my choice. I'm going to try to make it a little better for these people and for him. Right. He doesn't have a tribe anymore. He's a lost soul. Yeah. I mean, that's so. I, yeah, I don't know. I like the ambiguity of it. I just I thought it was an unusual because you think it would end like Avatar, right? Where it's like, oh, the bad man was defeated. Now the trees are going to fuck and there's going to be trees everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like... And that's not quite the movie we got. Right. I mean, again... What if that it, giant uh, forest spirit at the end just was like... And right. made, like, a giant, like, bubble boner and just started humping <laughs> the earth? And all of a sudden, treats are... But I think... See, this is why Miyazaki's who he is and who we're sadly who we are. <laughs> I think, ultimately, though, that's, like, the whole point of... That's the whole point of Studio Ghibli is to make sure that kids, particularly... I mean, I love that... I love that Studio Ghibli is such an important part of like our culture now. Like it used to not be in like from like 86 to 90s. Like I really think Mononoke might've been one of the, I'm not, I can't, maybe, maybe it was Howl's, maybe it was Howl's Moving Castle. Cause Mononoke did not do well, even though like all of these got distributed through Miramax. But like, I really love that. Like what's great about, what's great about Studio Ghibli and particularly Princess Mononoke coming to America is it's teaching it teaches kids the ambiguity. It teaches kids the ambiguity required in storytelling. Like it can't just be good guys and bad guys all the time. And I think teaching a kid that there are other gray areas is so important. That's the benefit. That's the deceptive nature of cartoons, quote unquote, like cartoons and card, like cartoon movies and movies that are animated are deceptively smart because what you can do is make these very, very compelling stories that aren't just about black and white villains versus heroes and make them stories about things that actually matter and like thematic elements with that require thought process in our world. Like 
kids are not going to go that deep, but they're going to watch something and ask themselves the kinds of questions that Hunter's asking. Like, that is the value. No, but, like, here's a great example, right? When they take Ashitaka to go get healed in the pond, and they're walking him to the little sacred island in the middle, Hunter's like, does a monster live there? And I was like, what? No. And he's like, why are there so many bones at the bottom of that lake? And I was like, that's a good fucking point. There's a shitload of bones down here. I think that's. But that's the thing, right? Because he is. And even uh, with Ashitaka, right? He heals his bullet wound, but doesn't remove his scar. Right. So the God, uh, you know, he's ambivalent about he's not a God of like, do I choose life or do I choose death? The forest spirit sees them not exclusively. Right. They're all linked together. If you live, you shall die and help breed new life. Right. So but even something like that. Right. This good spirit that looks pretty fucking creepy for a child. And his lake is full of bones of people that have come. I'm sure begging him, like, please give me life. Save me. And are just given death. I mean, but he's not a monstrous creature, but that's a That's one of those Ghibli things where my son watches. He's like, oh, this has to be a monster lair. Because there's fucking skeletons everywhere. Right. And this movie's saying, hey, kids, I know you think skeletons are scary and dying scary. But look, man, this is just a normal little place of a forest spirit. Look, all the little green bobblehead spirits that my son called pop vinyls. He's like, look, the pop vinyls are so happy. You know, they don't think there's a monster in this place. Right. I mean, that's um, like, I mean, that's yeah, the, it's, but that's it's that's beautiful. like a great little scene of he heals him. But he doesn't heal him all the way. He's still cursed with anger and hatred. There's bones everywhere. And this forest spirit never gives like the, here is the meaning of life. Right. He just fucking walks about. (laughs) Right. This isn't a thing. It's really an interesting pool. It's not a Julie Andrews kaiju. It's literally just. how I feel about this movie. Yes. Like that, that one little pool in that one island. That's what I think this movie. That's a great visual representation of what this is like come into this kind of confusing waters and have a think on it yeah sub question did ashitaka only pick iron town because it's full of former brothel workers (laughs) (laughs) uh i mean maybe he's not the hero we are making him out to be look i think ashitaka as we've been saying is a gray area character so if he's not if he's looking to get his fook on i certainly wouldn't begrudge him He's just like, you know, girl in the woods, maybe doesn't shower a lot. Yeah. Two wolves always trying to bite me. She's got a real Daenerys pre-Hitler uh, Targaryen thing going on. You're like, I see red flags. I mean, Or hey. a city of trained professionals. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you're going to be two characters in Game of Thrones, might as well be Jon Snow and the guy who runs, and the, guy who runs the brothel. I don't even remember his name because he died. Who gives a shit? Littlefinger? There you go. Thank you. Little finger. No, yeah, I think this is setting us up for a sequel where now we don't know the the moral standing of Ashitaka because he's just become a whoremonger, but he has a really nice garden. <laughs> Princess Mo- Princess Mononoke too. Ashitaka's garden. Yeah, Princess Mononoke too. Bitch, where my money? <laughs> I love I love the idea that they would. Ra- I, look, I love the idea that they would the make a sequel to this, this conversation movie. we've had. I love the idea that they would make a sequel to this movie where Ashitaka is just like the meanest pimp of all time. He only smacks him with his like, curse hand. Right, yeah. The, he's the pimp with a heart of gold. <laughs> that would that would be the ultimate gray area character. 
<laughs> He's actually making them mine for gold. It's like, I need more black black. I need more black black. Get out there, bitch. Oh, my God. No. Yeah, I think we should just leave the magical world as it is. Don't let our <laughs> interloping, uh, whoremongering asses sully this world. <laughs> Man, yeah. I mean, like, I think that this movie is, like, Again, it's one of those. I think it might have been one of the no's. How I think Howl's Moving Castle was the first one I ever saw, but it was definitely one of the first Studio Ghibli movies that I had that I got to see, and uh, like a long time ago. And I really, I had forgotten how much I enjoyed it. It was very beautiful. They're all beautiful, yeah, but this, this one was, is also this very was beautiful. The first one I had seen, and I remember being a little like, "What?" Because someone pitched it like, "Oh, you love." anime movies right and back then my anime i watched was like berserk ninja scroll vampire right, hunter right. d i loved horror anime essentially right a little bit of fantasy action They're like watch this and then i was like what is this fairy tale fucking what? <laughs> what and then by the end of the movie i was just like fully transfixed by the storytelling yeah but again i always come back to what i think i love that miyazaki just makes unbelievable stories in a beautiful, magical world and treats no audience member like a dumb child. Yes. Right? He I just opens probably his mind the most to us and says, thing. you come play. Yeah, just come play in this yeah. world. Right? It's the most that's important it thing he does. That's what it's, I think. And all the movies we chose for The Pod Gets Animated are, I wouldn't say... They're not kid-friendly, right? Everything we picked, although I saw this youngish. I was a teenager. I saw Fire and Ice when I was young. Right. Probably not the best decision, but my dad's like, it's like Conan. Whatever. Well, but pretty much, pretty much, that's pretty much I mean. says like, everything I need to know about Griffey. <laughs> yeah, well, like, Jesus Christ. That's, what, that's where it all went wrong. That's what started. No, but to me, it gets back to this. Uh, I, I think like my friend saying, don't call it a cartoon. I don't think cartoons and animation should have these scarlet letters and hopefully our podcast will change the world and we'll take it back, man. You know what I mean? Everyone's going to listen and be like, wow, look at these Ashitaka like heroes. Then we're like, PS, where are the I, whores? No, just kidding. <laughs> I agree. I, I really agree though. Like it shouldn't be this thing. Like we shouldn't be distinguishing between modes of storytelling. Like if it's a story and it's a good story, there's no reason for it not to be considered that. Like that's why studio Ghibli gets, nominated for oscars studio ghibli doesn't studio yeah. ghibli gets nominated for straight up oscars There's no foreign language animated oscar studio well, ghibli also gets because nominated some years only they get nominated too because some years only DreamWorks puts out a movie <laughs> burn like but that's burn, like the, that's DreamWorks. a very but that's a really important like my favorite my personal favorite studio ghibli movie is the tale of princess kaguya not one of their popular ones but yeah, i fucking dude, love that that movie. is crazy I, one I think that movie might be one of the most beautifully animated uh, stories that they've ever put out. And I really, really, really love it. Um, but, again, it's not a popular one. By the one. way, it's also another one to plug. Uh, the Red Turtle. Not yes. Miyazaki, but it is Studio Ghibli. Right. It is just the wildest. You're like, how am I so entertained by this movie? I mean, this Very is like, lovely I stuff. Yeah. Both of those are. Um, this is another thing. I, it's. Um, I think uh, obviously Hayao Miyazaki is an amazing guy. Like, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind. He's one of the great. He's one of the great artists of our time. But 
The guy who doesn't get enough love is the guy who wrote and directed Tale of Princess Kaguya, and he was one of the producers on The Red Turtle, is uh, the mm-hmm. other one of three co-founders of Studio Ghibli is, uh, is Sao Takahata. Like, everything yeah. about him is am- – he's just as amazing as – Miyazaki. Miyazaki just is just Miyazaki. He's prolific. They but have that's that great I love. documentary about Ghibli too. It's oh my really god! Fascinating it's to go into there absolutely and see how incredible. Doing this. Yeah, that that is really 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 worth it. There's actually um, yeah, it's um, yeah, like I think that might be the documentary I'm thinking of. Like that's where a lot of that information came from. Like they yeah. did they did they did a doc about Isao Takahata. So I. I would implore everyone to go watch Princess Kaguya, but if you haven't seen Princess Mononoke yet, for the love of God, watch this movie. It is fucking. Just watch phenomenal. all their movies, man. Studio Ghibli, and that's the thing. He was retiring Miyazaki. They still kept making good stuff, and I think he has him and his partners, one of whom left, all that kind of stuff. That's in the documentary. It's really interesting. They have imbued that place with the proper storytelling magic, which is this is how. You just pump magic and beauty into these worlds. And a lot of them feel very different and disparate, but they all have that same magical feeling that's really rare to find in other movies. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, Studio Ghibli across the board, insane. And, again, don't think of it as a cartoon or a video game or a comic or whatever. Great storytelling transcends its medium, right? It works for anyone. Absolutely. There are comics I can hand to my wife and show love and vice versa. Like, don't be the Roger Ebert who at the end of his life was like, video games can't be art. That's just not true, man. There are great stories told in video games, a lot of artistry that goes into, obviously, building these worlds. So don't think about the medium. Think about the product. And then exactly. if you want to look at it through the lens of the medium to make it more interesting for you, do that. But, hey, man, don't don't be like my friend and think when we say something's a cartoon, it's a lesser. It's yeah. not. They're amazing. Don't bash. And don't this bash one is one of the best. So that's it, guys. We hope you liked riding into battle on a wolf uh, or living in the whore gunville. Or as we call or- it, Alabama. No, just kidding. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed Princess Mononoke as much as we did. We hope you will now go out and find even more Studio Ghibli films or school us on Studio Ghibli films that we should check out. Because uh, I love all- I love any of that stuff. So hook us up, guys. What movies that are animated have we missed on our list maybe we can find a way to do some more for you or we'll just do a whole nother theme somewhere down the road the pod gets reanimated because that just has to happen oh absolutely uh but (laughs) so yeah guys share us on your socials leave us a rating and review if you would be so kind next up is akira get it watched uh for the film alchemist i'm josh griffin i am alex dandino